Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> One quick announcement. Some of you may have come in and gotten a communion cup that looks a little bit different. We're sort of running a test to see if we like these better. They're a little easier to open. But you do have to remember that you have to open the bread side first or you've got yourself in a pickle, okay? Some of you notice it looks a little bit like an hourglass. Some have said that it looks like a very small shot glass. You people have earned your way to the naughty list for this Christmas. You know, one of the most awkward things in life is when a relationship changes and then we encounter a person and like suddenly we don't know how to talk to that person. We don't know how to be ourselves around that person because what was once familiar is unfamiliar and we just really don't know what to say. It can happen for lots of different reasons. Like maybe you encounter a teacher you had like last year, a decade ago, three decades ago, and you don't know whether to call him Mr. Smith or Jim, right? It just doesn't feel right to go by that first name, and yet we're adults, right? Shouldn't we just do that? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you just got a promotion at work, and all these people that used to be your peers, your friends, suddenly you're managing them, and you're just not sure how the relationship is going to be. Are you going to be friends like you always were? Or are things going to be different? This gets even more serious when there's like a real problem in a relationship. And there's suddenly estrangement. Maybe there's a breakup, even a divorce. And people who used to be really close just are not now. People who might even have been family are not family anymore. And so when you encounter them, you just don't know what to say. You don't know how to be yourself with that person anymore. So what do we do in that setting when there is a broken relationship? I mean, we want to somehow figure out how to move forward, but we're not sure how. Fortunately, there is some help in scripture, and I want us to turn today to get that help from what is the third shortest book in the Bible, okay? After 2nd and 3rd John, Philemon is third. It's very short. If you turn there in your Bible, probably even just part of a page, maybe not a full page. So it just takes a little while to get through. But I wanted to cover this book Partly because it's just such a great passage of Scripture, and partly because it's connected to the book of Colossians, which we just studied. Okay, We just finished that series called Complete, and we studied all the way through the book of Colossians. Well, what seems to be the case is that Tychicus, a man who helped Paul out in different places, took the letter from Paul to Colossae, okay? a place Paul had never been. He probably also carried this letter. Philemon with him from Paul to the church in Colossae because that's where Philemon lived. Okay, so this book, this letter is addressed to just Philemon and the church that meets in his home. So there's a big letter to everyone and then this little short letter that's just to Philemon and the house church in his home. Now we have to remember, they didn't really have church buildings. So there would be a church in Ephesus, a church in Philippi, a church in Colossae, but what that really meant was there was a lot of Christians that met in individual homes and then made up a whole church together, though they would rarely, if ever, have all met in one room like we do. Okay, so Philemon has a church in his home. And the reason Paul is writing to Philemon is because he has a slave named Onesimus. Now, you need a little background to understand the story because it's a little bit hard to get at and we really have to glean through the letter to figure out some of that background. So I'm going to tell you what I believe is the best guess from looking through the whole letter as to how this all fits together. Onesimus is a slave. 
His name is a very common name for slaves in the ancient world because it had a meaning. The meaning was useful. Now, if you have a slave born into your household, then you want that slave to be useful. And so people would give a slave that name. So here's Onesimus, a slave. Now, when we hear about slavery in the ancient world, at one level, it is just like slavery in our history, and yet there are some big differences. So it is the ownership of one person by another person. Okay, That inherently creates all kinds of inequality, all kinds of problems. Uh, men, especially, were not really considered the fathers of their children because the master owns the kids. Couldn't pass on any wealth through a family of slaves. But it was also different from our history in that slaves were often offered education. They uh, would hold important positions in the culture. It was not based on race. Virtually anyone could end up a slave. If you have a debt, sometimes you might have to sell yourself into slavery to pay that debt. So ownership of one person by another, yes, but there are some inherent and important differences in what we see in slavery in our culture. But what we know is Onesimus is a slave. And he belongs to a Christian man named Philemon. And here's where trying to put the pieces together is my best guess as to what happened before this letter's written. Onesimus is a trusted servant, okay? He is an important person in this household, important enough that my guess is he handles some money for Philemon. Philemon appoints him to go conduct some business probably in Ephesus, that's probably where Paul is, though it's possible he's in Rome, which would have been much further away. Ephesus is just down the road. So Philemon sends Onesimus with money to conduct business, maybe to pay a debt, maybe to make a purchase for the household, maybe to buy something specific for Philemon or his business, okay? So Onesimus, go conduct the business with this money, come home. Here's the problem. Onesimus didn't come home. Now, we know he's a runaway slave. It's probably not that he sort of sneaked out at night and got away, but probably, and again, this is our best guess, he was on some kind of journey with money and just decided not to go back. So here's Onesimus, runaway slave, thief, in a town that he may have been to before but is not his hometown. What do you do now? you got a pretty big mark on your back. Now we don't know exactly how it happened. Maybe somebody that Paul knew came in contact with Onesimus, maybe another slave, we don't know. But someone put Onesimus and Paul in contact with one another, maybe to try to figure out what should Onesimus do. Maybe somebody knew Paul's a Christian leader, Onesimus mentions that his master Philemon is a Christian, and maybe Paul can figure out what we do here. Because if Onesimus gets caught, if he goes back to Colossae for most any reason, it could be really bad because he's a runaway slave. Could cost him his life, could be severe beating, could be very ugly. And so Paul's got a decision to make, what am I going to do? And in the process of this back and forth between Paul and Onesimus, Onesimus decides to follow Jesus. So he becomes a Christian. And Paul has to think, okay, am I going to keep him here and keep him safe? And Onesimus begins to help Paul out, or am I going to send him home? In the end, probably because this was the legal thing to do, and Paul wanted to maintain his uh, reputation as a law-abiding citizen, decides to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But he sends him 
with a letter. And we have that letter. And so Tychicus takes the letters from Paul, the book we call Colossians, and Philemon, and he goes with Onesimus back to Colossae. And he shows up at the church with this guy that everybody knows who's run away with money. What's going to happen next? So he delivers this letter to the church. Maybe he's the one who actually read it to the church. And he comes to Philemon's home with this house church meeting and Onesimus there. Let me just read you the letter, he says. And so Paul opens the letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, he greets everyone. The letter is addressed to Philemon and the church meeting in his home. And we might say, why isn't this just between Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon? Because for Paul, Christianity was never intended to be lived in isolation. It is always lived in community. And virtually everything that happens affects the community. And so Paul addresses this to the small part of the community that's affected Philemon's household, Philemon's house, church. And then Paul jumps in. He, he lets Philemon know he appreciates him somewhere. They have connected with one another. Maybe Philemon's come from Colossae to Ephesus to see Paul. Whatever, they know each other somehow. Paul appreciates that. And then he gets into the body of the letter. And I want to pick up in verse 8. Paul says this, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I, while, while I was in chains. Now, what I notice about this letter is that over and over, what really comes to the fore is relationship. Now, sometimes... When we read this letter, Western culture, 21st century, what we want to read it as is a philosophical treatise on the ethics of slavery. But it's not that, okay? What it is, is a letter from one man to another man in the church that met in his home, dealing with a specific problem. Slavery is involved, heavily involved, but it's not the issue Paul's writing about. And so we have to read this letter for what it is. A letter between Paul and Philemon to deal with a relationship problem. Now, relationships are big here. Paul says, I can tell you what to do. Why? Because Paul's an apostle. Okay? He knows Philemon. He's a Christian leader who could tell Philemon, this is what you ought to do. He also says, I'm an old man. Why? Because... Age in that culture meant authority. So he's saying, because of our relationship, I am in authority over you. And I could tell you what to do, but I won't. So Paul sort of does that a couple times in this letter. I could do this, and then he lays it out and says, but I, but I won't do that. He says, what I want you to do is to do the right thing. Not because in my position of authority, I can tell you what to do but because it's the right thing. Do the right thing because it's the right thing, not just because I told you to. And his appeal is on behalf of, here's the relationship again, my son, Onesimus, who has become my son, okay? My son in the faith while I'm in chains. All right, that's what Paul says. 
So he's appealing to that side of the relationship here. The relationships go back and forth throughout this letter because that's really what it's all about. Then verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become both useful to you and to me. What does Onesimus mean? Useful. Paul's making a play on the man's name, on the meaning of that name. He says, listen, I know useful became useless, but now he's useful again. Okay, And that Onesimus was useless to you when he ran away. He took your money, ran away. He became useless. Before that, he was, he was a means of labor for you. He did your work. You trusted him as an advisor. And then he became useless because he left you. He broke the relationship. But I'm telling you, he's fulfilled his name with me. Because he's been, become useful to me as I do the work of the gospel, the message of Jesus. In other words, he's really become what he was always meant to be, useful to God rather than just to people. But Paul says he can become useful to you again. Verse 12, I'm sending him. And that was evident because Onesimus is standing there probably with Tychicus in this house church, and Tychicus is reading this letter. I am sending him who is my very heart, the relationship back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Just one more reminder, Paul's in prison because he's speaking the message of Jesus. And he says, you know, he's useful to me. In fact, he's useful in a way that maybe you'd like to be, but you can't be because you don't live here. You're doing your work back in Colossae and he's helping me in a way I know you would help if you were only here. And then Paul says, listen, I didn't want to do this without, without asking permission, so I'm sending him back to you because I want you to deal with this issue. Verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul's saying, listen, you had a relationship with Onesimus. He was useful to you in a way. Then he became useless. But listen, things have changed. He's now a brother in Christ. He's a follower of Jesus. You are on equal footing in that. And that's changed the relationship. And Paul is saying, I want you to take him back as a brother. And if you take him back as a brother, you're not taking him back as a slave. I want this relationship to be different. Paul is asking Philemon to give up some rights, the right to own this man, because that's what the culture allowed, in order that he could be truly his brother and become useful in a very different way. Verse 17, so, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Okay, it's just like if I showed up there. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Okay, if he's taken your money, if he's taken any stuff, whatever it is, 
Pretend that I owe it. And then Paul writes this next sentence in his own handwriting, probably using a scribe up to this point, but then he notes that this is in his own hand. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. This is a handwritten, I owe you. Whatever Onesimus owes you, I'll pay it back. I'm writing this, signing my name, blank check for you. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I'll be glad to pay back everything that Onesimus owes you, but just in case you've forgotten, you have a relationship with Jesus because I told you about him, all right? So here Paul again says, I could, I would, but just remember. Paul's reminding him that there are more important things. But if money is going to keep this relationship broken, if money is going to keep these two men away from one another because Philemon can't give that up, then Paul is willing to deal with it. He will rectify the situation so that they can come back together. That's what Paul says here to Philemon. Verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And I think he means, hey, listen to what I'm saying. Do what I'm asking. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. That you will welcome him back in a way that maybe I can't even anticipate because you're willing to do this in the name of Jesus. So here we are. This letter, all about relationships between Paul and Philemon, Philemon and Onesimus, Paul and Onesimus, and how this changes the future. And what Paul is asking from Philemon is that he would be reconciled to Onesimus. Now, even though it's clear Onesimus is in the wrong, all right? He, he violated all sorts of laws and customs. He runs away. He takes money with him. He doesn't return, violates trust. All that's happened. Paul said, yeah, it happened. But what I want you to do is to welcome him back as a brother in Christ. Does he deserve it? Paul never says that. Do it anyway. Paul is saying reconciliation is the path here. Now, we don't know this for sure either. But I really believe that if Philemon had ignored this letter, we wouldn't be reading it today. My guess is that it's been preserved because it worked. Philemon would have wanted this hidden if he was going to ignore it. And probably there were Christians in the first century who began to hear this story of Paul's letter to Philemon and how these two men were reconciled. And, and Paul's words here, I think, teach us this lesson. When we have a relationship that is broken, when there is estrangement, when, when we don't know how to be ourselves around this person with whom we were so familiar before, reconciliation frees us from being trapped in the pain of the past. Now, we can choose to stay in the past and relive it over and over again. We can choose to, once again, imagine what that was like and how that person wronged us and how they did this that just tore us apart. And it did happen, okay? Or we can choose reconciliation that frees us from the pain of the past. Now, I'm not here to say that reconciliation 
is easy stuff because it's not. It's just not. Reconciliation is two people coming together that maybe both have been hurt. There's pain present. There's fear present of, of trying to come back together. There's pride that's keeping them apart. All those things are there. But reconciliation says, you know what? We got to find a way to move forward even though all this stuff has happened. We got to find a way to meet together again even though these bad things have happened. So reconciliation does not ignore everything that's happened. Paul doesn't say, hey, just uh, finally even pretend none of this ever happened and go back to the way it was. That's not what he says. And that's not what we can do. We can't just pretend stuff never happened. Okay? And it's not to say that reconciliation is not costly because sometimes it is. Sometimes we have to humble ourselves and ask forgiveness because we know we're in the wrong. And sometimes we have to humble ourselves and forgive because when we do that, we have to give up our righteous indignation. I'm right, you're wrong, and you deserve to be punished for it. When we choose reconciliation, we're saying, you know what? I know this happened, but I give up my rights to tell you you're wrong. And we're going to come back together and we're going to move forward. Reconciliation does, does not say we're going to go back to the relationship that was because that may be impossible. There may not be a path back to what was. The only path may be to go forward to something entirely different because that's, see, that's exactly what Paul's asking Philemon and Onesimus to do. He's saying you can't go back to where you were because too much has changed. Instead, what you need to do is find a new relationship with each other through the power of God at work in you. And it might even be better. Different, but better. Now, sometimes reconciliation says we're going to have a relationship. It's not going to be like it was in the past, but I've got to protect myself because I was really wounded. All right? that, that may be the style of reconciliation we have to choose in certain relationships. But there are times when, yes, there were problems, yes, there were hurt feelings, but we can forgive one another as hard as that can be at times. We can humble ourselves as hard as that can be at times, and we can find a new way to move forward, maybe even better. Reconciliation frees us from the pain of the past. Now, every single one of us has someone in our lives and maybe several people in our lives that we have something between us and them. There's at least some distance where there used to be familiarity. There's a problem there that's been created by something they did, I did, or we did. It's up to us to decide, okay, what does reconciliation look like? What could the future of this relationship be if both of us let our pride go, and chose humility to ask for forgiveness and humility to show forgiveness. What would that look like? How could this relationship be restored? Because that's what we need. Reconciliation frees us from being trapped in the pain of the past. Let's pray together. God, we only understand reconciliation because you have reconciled us to you. Every, everything that we know about reconciliation is modeled on that.
And so God, we pray that you'll teach us to understand how we can be reconciled to other people because you have called us back and you've called us back to something better. God, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in being called your children and being called brothers and sisters. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.